You pressed play on this podcast with the click of curiosity. It is another dimension, a dimension of mind, a dimension where nothing is sacred and everything is explainable. You're streaming into a land of both inside and outside of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the midside. Welcome to the midside where you're a wizard, Harry. I'm your host, Justin M. Lesneski, the hope for romantic, and I retroactively and proactively denounce anything anyone has ever said and ever will say on this show, especially that terrible impersonation I just did. Maybe it's just because I have my headphones on so I can't hear my voice internal to my head or external to my head. I don't know. Usually I do a better impersonation of that line. I'm, of course, doing the impersonation because the actor who played Hagrid in the Harry Potter series, Robbie Coltrane, passed away this past week. And look, I'm not a huge Harry Potter fan, although I do think Universal did an amazing job with the Wizarding World. But the reason I'll always remember Coltrane and Hagrid, and it's sort of crazy to me that he's dead, is I worked at Walmart for a little bit way back in the day, like in high school or during college in the summer. And I worked in the electronics department. And at the time, uh, they were playing a loop of different sound bites for movies, right, as a way for, you know, people who are in the store uh, to be enticed to go into the electronics department and, and buy physical media. Obviously, that doesn't really happen anymore. It's more like just football highlights when you go into Walmart. As you would imagine, not many people came in the store for a very long time, so it was on a loop constantly. And one of the things was always the You're a Wizard Harry line. There was also Ogres Are Like Onions from Shrek and Say Backpack from Dora the Explorer. So even though I've never seen Dora the Explorer, I know about the whole backpack thing. And I've actually learned more about Dora the Explorer because now that I teach high school, these kids were young when Dora the Explorer was on and I you know I do the say backpack line and then they tell me things about Dora the Explorer I never knew like did you know the backpack was alive in Dora the Explorer I had no idea that's insane right so R.I.P. Robbie Coltrane you are I think it's fair to say a cultural icon and I think you will continue to be for at least this generation depending on how long Harry Potter remains popular because there is a giant animatronic of you in Universal Orlando and it has your voice. So you could be a cultural icon for a very, very long time. And now the only place to really see you is Universal Orlando. And that's always a strange day. Now on to other things. Joining me this trip from Dale's Lawn, identifying as a woman to forgo his white male gay privilege, William Green. Hello, hello. Yes, I'm fresh off of, uh, well, Friday, off of uh, My Chemical Romance concert. They did an excellent job. Uh, were those it? tickets like $8,000? Uh, they were not cheap, but they opened up a bunch of new shows, so I didn't end up oh, spending okay. that much, but uh, at, at least not as much as I may have to spend to get uh, Blink-182 tickets. Dude, the, oh, here, oh, yeah, I saw those. here, floor, It's uh, it was $1,400 for pre-sale. And that's not including, of course, parking and all the uh, Ticketmaster anal rape fees. So, okay. uh, yeah, I, did, did I, I, I couldn't buy them. Fees? Uh, anal rape fees. Yeah, Ticketmaster has those. They attach them at the end. 
It's not just Ticketmaster, dude. I bought two tickets to a play here at the high school. There was a dollar fifty convenience charge. I was like, "This is a high school play, a public high school play. How are you charging me a dollar fifty convenience charge?" Uh, it's convenient for us to take more of your money, so we will do so now. Can we talk about Blink One Eighty Two for a second, though, very briefly? Because I, sure. I didn't, I was, I originally planned to bring it up, but then there was other stuff on the show that's oh. more exciting here, more interesting. Yeah. But this, you're actually going to Blink One Eighty Two. Because well, here's my thing with them. I've never been a huge fan. And like even their new ad where the where they were talking about them coming back and it was just a bunch of people saying you're they're coming doing phallic gestures and then the new single is called Edging. I don't know. I just I feel like Blink-182 is the most immature shallow version of pop punk. Uh and that may be true. Uh I I saw them I saw them on the what ended up being their last concert tour I saw them in San Diego which was uh was a lot of fun. They're a really great band live. So uh I don't think I will be spending $1400 uh for tickets. Um so maybe I don't see them uh, on this tour because uh the tickets are ungodly expensive. But I've I've a mad respect for uh Travis Barker in particular. So yes. Uh, any time I can see him live uh is is one I'm going to very very much consider. Something something else you said, though, you, one of the ways you know that we're old is I remember going to like the final shows for a bunch of bands and now they're all back together. Like, oh, yeah, you and I, we went to the Motion City soundtrack last concert, yes. right? It wasn't uh, the last. Then, show, was it the were last you at one Yellow ever? Card with me as well? Yellow oh, yeah. Well, you were at Yellow Card in Anaheim yep. and now they're back, too. Yep, now right? they're back, too. Yeah. Isn't that oh, crazy? man, we had to listen to the, the, the lead singer. What's his name? His terrible uh, his terrible solo act was like the the pre-opening band. And we're like, oh, yeah. this is not going to happen. <laughs> well, and that's why they're back together, presumably. And um, I was, oh yeah, something corporate. I saw their their last show back in the day, and now they're still playing shows. Yeah. Did you yeah. see the uh, the lineup for next year's When We Were Young festival? Oh, it's epic! Wow. Yeah, it's epic. Uh, but it's isn't Blink crazy. on that too? Which is why that sold so. out super quick. Yeah. 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 All right, but nobody really wants to hear about us just nerd out about uh, well, We could spend a whole podcast on just music. We could do that, and that was originally one of the names of the show. Pop yeah. culture, pop punk, and pop tarts, but, you know, that one didn't. <laughs> uh, All that yes. hot pop tart talk. Yeah, it wouldn't go anywhere now. All right, instead, we're going to talk about things like Elon Musk and Joe Biden and Van Gogh. All the things you all are talking about uh, this week. Let's do it in Life on the Midside. As always, if you'd like to support the show, you can do so through Patreon or Locals. Patreon is per episode. Locals is per month. We accept any and all support including affirmations. That's the midside.com slash Patreon or the midside.com slash locals. This first story was submitted by Midsider Lucid in the Discord, and it's all about the intersection of capitalism and government and foreign affairs. And, ooh, this is just rife with farce. And I know, William, you feel strongly about this. I so do, I do. the headline here from CNN.com, exclusive. Musk's SpaceX says it can no longer pay for critical satellite services in Ukraine 
Ask Pentagon to pick up the tab. First, William, I want to ask you, how is this an exclusive? When Elon tweets CNN? about it on Twitter? I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know. how. I mean, <laughs> it's breaking news, clearly. I guess maybe they got tired of CNN saying breaking news all the time. Because remember, like, the breaking news Chiron, like, went on for, like, three straight years or something? Yeah. So maybe, they, maybe they're, they're mixing it up with exclusive. So the article... Since they first started arriving in Ukraine last spring, the Starlink satellite internet terminals made by Elon Musk's SpaceX have been a vital source of communication for Ukraine's military, allowing it to fight and stay connected even as cellular phone and internet networks have been destroyed in its war with Russia. So, William, before I even continue... Wait, it's war with Russia? <laughs> so you're keying in on one of the things here. Do you yeah. see how this paragraph, which is claiming to be expository, is already biased? Yeah, yeah. Already trying to make you... It's trying... This is this part... This paragraph is trying to prime you against what SpaceX does and what Elon Musk does. It's a vital source in Ukraine's war, because obviously Ukraine are the good guys, right? And I'm not saying they're the bad guys. I'm saying maybe we should not care about it or stay out of it. But do you see how they're priming the pump here? Yeah, definitely. All right. So far, roughly 20,000 Starlink satellite units have been donated to the Ukraine. With Musk tweeting on Friday, the operation has cost SpaceX 80 million and will exceed 100 million by the end of the year. And I love this paragraph. But those charitable contributions could be coming to an end as SpaceX has warned the Pentagon that it may stop funding the service in Ukraine unless the U.S. military kicks in tens of thousands, tens of millions of dollars per month. Documents obtained by CNN show that last month, Musk SpaceX sent a letter to the Pentagon saying it can no longer continue to fund the Starlink service as it has. I mean, I guess that's the exclusive. Maybe that's that, exclusive, yeah. That he sent letters, but didn't he? You said he also tweeted about this. Yeah, he did. <laughs> Isn't that a letter? Like, can't the Pentagon read that? Do you I need to do an know. official letter anymore? Can you just tweet at the Pentagon if you do business with them? I don't know. Something tells me Trump could. Back when he had Twitter. The letter also requested that the Pentagon take over funding for Ukraine's government and military use of Starlink, which SpaceX claims would cost more than $120 million for the rest of the year and could cl cost close to $400 million for the next 12 months. So the thing that I, I find farcical about this, William, is that he's basically saying there's no such thing as a free lunch. Right. And he's saying, if you want us to continue helping in this, uh, we need help ourselves. Right. This yeah. this costs us money to do this. And unless you want our company to go under, then we're going to need support. And he's not even saying he's trying to make a profit. Right. He's just saying this is what it's going to cost. Help yeah. us out. Yet he's still being dragged over the coals by CNN for not sacrificing for the greater good here. Yeah, and this is a huge opportunity cost. The the you know the 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 whole thing about this constellation is at, you know they're constantly pumping them up uh, the satellites right now. But every service that's provided in Ukraine is service that can't be provided elsewhere right now, right? Um, so that, that you know that's that is yeah. There's a whole bunch of pay, paying customers that aren't getting their terminals because they went to Ukraine instead. So that's that's a that could be a huge deal. Uh, especially when this is supposed to be the thing that funds um, Elon's uh, Mars missions. 
isn't it interesting that people are so reliant on this as if there wasn't a time where humans didn't have internet and they couldn't communicate in this way? Yeah. Couldn't they just, if they can't afford it, figure out another way to do it? Sure. I mean, there's uh, there's the uh, old school radio. You know, ra- radio still exists. Um, I, the other thing is, I think the the story doesn't do a good job of pointing out how this got started. But uh, Elon was he had, Elon had tweeted something about um, like what a structure of a peace deal might look like, and uh, and then people in Ukraine, some Ukrainian foreign minister or something told him to go fuck himself. And, uh, we know how that goes, right? Ask the, uh, what's that Congresswoman <laughs> from, uh, or the house, uh, Assemblywoman from, uh, from California that, uh, said, fuck you, Elon. And Elon said message retrieved and uh, received, sorry. And now he lives in Texas and is no longer a California resident. So, uh, so he said, well, fine, I'll just turn it off. And that's where this is coming from. Right. He's like, Hey, well, this, I mean, is, yeah. this is that, like, he's being at, as uh, as uh, as much as you can criticize him for the how, like he's trying to stand up for the moral of the situation here, which is, hey, like if you're not if I'm not getting appreciated, why should I do this? Right. And, and it's important, William, to emphasize what you just said, that it is moral. Or I'm going to say it this way. I'd rather say it this way. It is immoral that he is being taken for granted. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Take his actions he out for a second. He's the one make it possible. Right? Yeah. Right. So what's this other article you, you had in here? This well, I, I, I saw this Post one. Uh, 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 my, my, the, my MCR mate uh, that went to the MCR with me posted this article to uh, send this in a text. It's from the Washington Post. And the headline doesn't quite match the article, so we'll have to dig into it a little bit. It says, U.S. quietly paying millions to send Starlink terminals to Ukraine, contrary to SpaceX claims. Now, the problem with that headline is that at no time did SpaceX claim that things weren't, like, being paid for by USAID. They were saying things were getting, weren't, that, that things were not getting paid for from the Pentagon. And also, if you read the article, uh, I could talk about, like, there's one part here where it says USAID agreed to purchase closer to 1,500 standard Starlink terminals and pay $800,000 for transportation costs, documents show, adding up to over $3 million in taxpayer dollars paid to SpaceX to send the equipment to, to Ukraine. Now, the only issue with that is we already know how much it actually costs, right? And that, that was 1,500 terminals. That wasn't the uh, thousands that have been sent, right? And... uh so the revelations, this is what from the article again, the revelations show that while SpaceX appears to have donated a significant sum to Ukrainian cause, it has done so with public assistance. Dun, dun, dun. And then it brushes over the Ukrainian uh, fuck you tweet by saying, Ukrainian officials have lauded the SpaceX contributions and credited the Starlink equipment with helping to keep their internet online during the war. So, yeah. So it's it's interesting to me, the, the you know, we... We see this polarization about Ukraine and the war, and uh, it's interesting to see Elon shake that stuff up a bit with how quick he was to help uh, initially, and now that he's like saying like, "Oh, maybe there's some way to broker peace," uh, everyone just turns on him. So, uh, so one is a brilliant move, the other is a terrible move, and um, and there's no uh, you know there's no nuance, no no ability to have any nuance in this discussion. It's always that. It's always that. And I think the thing about Elon Musk is even if you don't agree with him, he always tries to do what he 
think it thinks is right. Right. We could have a whole discussion here of, you know, cynically, did he do this just to get government money? Right. Because he you know, did this and he was ho- maybe he was hoping in the long run the government would pay him for all of this technology and the use of it. But isn't he here using his power? Right. What's available to him to try and create what he thinks is the best outcome. Right. He's saying, I have the power here to make people listen about a peace approach. What was it you said? A peace treaty, a peace yeah, agreement, peace, whatever. Yeah, the peace term agreement. Yeah, yeah. Peace agreement. Isn't that a good thing? Or should he stay out of it because he's just a mere business person? Yeah, well, that's definitely the attitude of uh, even some folks I know that, yeah, he should, to steal man they're arguing for a bit, he should stay out of it, right? Like, this is, he's not a foreign policy expert, you know, he doesn't know a lot about people and people interactions, he doesn't know anything about the history of the region, um, you know, it's not his uh, his uh, fight, and so he should stay out of it. That's definitely part of it. But then, if you feel that way, the, the question I would have for those folks is, but he didn't stay out of it, and, and he was lauded for it early on. So, right. what, which is it? Right. And also, aren't there lots of people who just say on principle, war is bad? So if war is bad on principle, wouldn't you support this move, even if you didn't support what he did early on because it supported the war? Yeah. 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 Right. So as always, Elon Musk is usually doing something complicated and people just aren't paying attention to it. I mean, it's not quite good Kanye, bad Kanye, but maybe maybe we're close. Maybe Elon, we can do good Elon, bad Elon. (laughs) Uh, it's kind of, maybe it's kind of, you don't understand Elon. Yeah, like, I don't, probably. I don't, I've never really had a strong feeling about Elon Musk either way. I don't know about you. Like, I, I mean, I know you used to work for like SpaceX yeah. way back in the day, but I don't know. I've never had a strong feeling about him. Like, yeah, some of the stuff he does is cool, but then he comes up with something like the Hyperloop and I'm like, that's cool. So it's just kind of like, he's a, a person, he's really smart. He does stuff. And like, I don't care, you know, what's the, the pop star he's in a relationship with or whatever grimes for a while grimes and he had a bunch of kids or something like none of that or stuff came out about his dad like none of that interests me like you just thought of the the people in the world he's not like on my radar of caring a lot about what about you he's 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 unique he's he as much as i know that there are some folks that that denigrate him but he is one of those one that once in a generation kind of people right and uh and so like the the standard that we have to look at him by is different right we can still criticize him and i know i my experience he does not manage people very well uh but when you're that level of genius you don't you don't have to to be successful right he he, basically most of it is about getting out of his way (laughs) so that great things can happen if that makes any sense that's that was at least my attitude yeah, it makes sense. It makes sense. You know who doesn't make sense? The people who tried to deface the Van Gogh pa- painting recently. And I think this went around on social media. Oh, yeah. So this is a C- CNBC article. Oil protesters arrested after throwing tomato soup at Van Gogh painting. Now, just to be clear, there's nothing wrong with the painting. It's fine. What but I wanted soup? to talk. <laughs> What's, is there something wrong with the tomato soup? Yeah. Did they recover yeah, the tomato t- soup? It's canned tomato soup. Oh, no. If you're going to have tomato soup, don't have canned tomato soup. But um, I wanted to talk about this, not because of the, the painting or not because of the tomato soup, but because of the rhetoric around this and 
why it was done, right? The ideas here. So from, from the article, two activists from campaign group Just Stop Oil were arrested Friday after throwing soup on Vincent Van Gogh's famous sunflower painting, which hangs in the National Gallery in London. Now, let's just sit here for a second, William. Think about that statement for a second. Just stop oil. Were arrested for throwing tomato soup on a painting. At what point when you're coming up with ideas to forward your agenda, are you like, let's throw tomato soup at a painting? Especially because you want to know why it wasn't damaged, William? Why? You know what they have over it? Uh, Glass. <laughs> well, I guess that's a good thing. I, Justin, is. is this the same people that were doing the 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 environmentalist protests in the UK like a couple years back? Or was it like a year back? Remember it was like the uh, Instinction Rebellion or something like that? Then the, the these guys were like super radical. They broke off. It's almost like a cult, if I remember. I'm, I'm pulling this out of my ass, but I, I'm pretty sure I remember most of the... Most of the gist of this, if I've got some of the details wrong, I'm sure people in Discord will correct me. But there were these couple of activists that this dude is just like basically running an environmentalist cult and going around and doing these things for attention. And it's like part of their cult. I mean, if it's not the same exact people, it's the same people abstractly. Uh, Something I remember, which may have been related to this in the UK, was do you remember when they were going around like, were they letting the air out of the tires or were they slashing tires of SUVs and then leaving a sign telling them yeah, how bad they were yeah. for the environment? Well, you know, Justin, that's the best way to persuade people is to be complete assholes, right? Like that 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 makes me sympathetic to their cause, right? Uh, you know, destroying well, yeah, paintings it, like Van Gogh. Van Gogh, how much fossil fuels are being burned when Van Gogh was alive? Well, and that's that's really the thing here, right? Is how does this and connect on, the flip on any side, level? How much fossil fuels does it take to preserve these artworks? Like, what about what, what the tremendous benefit? <laughs> well, and, and now you've really hit the, the target here when you're talking about what they were saying, right? And I think this is really a story that Daniel would appreciate with the way he is, you know, he, he really hates the environmentalist movement because I think this lays bare what they're saying. And I don't know, did Alex Epstein pick this up? Because this is a really important abstract point that's being demonstrated. This (laughs) is something that people wouldn't usually get to grasp, but it's really demonstrated here. So the protesters glued themselves to the wall next to the painting. So you must have really liked them when they were assholes like that, William, because that's really convincing. But one of the activists said, and I don't know if they said this while they were glued to the wall or not, but this is what they said. What is worth more, art or life? William, say the catchphrase. False psychotomy, bro. Is it worth more than food? Worth more than justice? Are you more concerned about the protection of a painting or the protection of our planet and people? False dichotomy, bro. The cost of living crisis is part of the cost of oil crisis. Fuel is unaffordable to millions of cold, hungry families. They can't even afford to heat a tin of soup. So basically what they're saying is art is contributing to the crisis of people being unable to live. So well, art causes what? inflation? Is that what I'm supposed to learn now? The, well, the, I, I, presumably the the suppressed premise here is that it's a waste of resources, right? Now, as you're pointing out, uh, this piece of art was made well before the crisis. So <laughs> yeah. why are they do- taking it out on this piece of art? 
right? I mean, why not take it out on the banana taped to the wall with duct tape? Like, that would be a better piece of art to take it out on. Now, as you said, there is the argument that the upkeep and protection of this is burning fossil fuels, but it can't be that much, right? Uh, But this is showing what they're prioritizing, right? They are prioritizing pure rote physical needs over psychological needs. Now, their argument would be that you can't worry about psychological needs until the physical needs are being taken care of. But that would, what kind of a life would that be? That would yeah. be a life of, of pure misery. Yeah. misery. And that is ultimately what they want. Because here's the thing. This, this standard, fuel is unaffordable to millions of cold, hungry families. They can't even afford to heat a tin of soup. A unfortunate, harsh truth about the world, William, is we will never solve world hunger and we will never solve world peace. And if we are going to use that as our standard, the only way to bring everyone to the same level is to lower the level of everyone else to the level of everyone at the bottom. That's the only way we're going to be able to. And whether they know this explicitly or not, it's very revealing that they are finally attacking art as is and telling us art and life are not the same thing without art there is no life there is no human life do animals have art no no don't tell me a a, a, i can already see somebody trying to argue with me that a, a, a bird's nest is art no it's not it's only art if a human calls it art One of the defining traits of humanity is that we can make art. And for them to finally being attacking it like this, either maybe they're in their final stage or they've just finally realized and aren't afraid of showing themselves fully. Yeah. I have a great idea. How about we let those millions of people that can't afford uh, to heat cans of soup, how about we give them um, access to cheap, reliable energy instead of uh, solar panels and windmills and preventing them from building coal and natural gas plants and raising taxes on all those, those items and proposing a CO2 tax on the third world and all this other stuff. How about that? How would you do that? William? I would, uh, by, by saying, Hey, freedom, freedom, let the market decide what's the best way to get energy to these places. Oh, I thought you were making an argument for nuclear power. Well, nuclear power too. Of course. Can you imagine? Like, I know there's people working on, there's people working on these, like small portable nuclear uh, generators, this could this could revolutionize Africa and India, if 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 uh, if they're able to build them. But you know how illegal it is to work on those sort of technologies here in the United States. I mean, that would revolutionize here either. We wouldn't be dependent upon uh, government-run utilities. And oh yeah, yeah. We wouldn't have to pay you know the government monthly for our utilities. But they're they're already ahead of you, William. Do you notice how they said the protection of our planet and our people? They're not saying the protection of our planet for our people. They're putting the planet on the same level as Uh, human beings. No, the planet's before human beings. Definitely. Come on now. I know. Ultimately, it is. I'm just saying in the way they've said it here. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's always the collective over over the individual. And in this case, it's the planet, the, the, the nebulous Gaia that needs to be protected. Right. And that's that should tell you how they value you, how they value you, because they don't. They would sacrifice you in a heartbeat. If they would sacrifice Van Gogh's work, what would they do for you and to you? 
And that's the thing to think about here. All right, William, I want to let you handle the next one because I read this article. It's a very long article, and I think it's interesting. But I want to hear what you have to say about it. So William sent me an article from the Scientific American, Video Game Players Avoid gay characters and i know that this is right in your wheelhouse as far as <laughs> your wheelhouse as far as your professional experience yeah. your personal experience and what you care about as far as issues because i know you cared a lot about gamergate yeah i did so yeah so this article is a study of gamer behavior and they found that uh players shy away from gay characters regardless of their strengths so they try to control for um for you know the actual character strength so uh uh uh, they give an example from Overwatch, so from the article. In Overwatch, players can choose between 32 avatars that have different appearances and skill sets. As an additional marketing highlight, Blizzard regularly updates the background stories of these characters. Their stories have no effect whatsoever on the game, but they don't change the character's skills or appearance. Uh, still, these stories are so important for the fan base that they influence Overwatch in another way. In May in 2019, an Overwatch writer updated the background story for one male character, Soldier 76. He wrote that Soldier 76 had been in a romantic relationship with another man and identified as gay. It was a bit of information that is far from unusual in the real world, but in online gaming, it was somewhat revolutionary. Uh, the announcement resulted in hundreds of responses on Twitter, and the research team tested it. And then, uh, Interestingly, instead of choosing Soldier 76, several players chose the only other LGBTQ MLMNOP character in the game, a lesbian called Tracer. Though Soldier 76 had previously been assumed uh, by most to be straight, Tracer had been openly gay since the game would publish. So in other words, Justin, um, dudes uh, want to play lesbian women more than gay men. And so they try to so- they try to they try to look at it in the study and say, oh, it's because people talk trash if you pick uh, like call you gay if you pick soldier 76 but justin the whole idea like there's a the the reason the study is so so out of touch for me is that the whole idea of these characters is the story does motivate like this is like a no-brainer the story and background of these characters does motivate people to connect to these players. If you if you main a character, obviously I have more experience in League of Legends. For this, if you main a character, like if this is like, like you have one or two characters that you really love to play, you connect with their story, um, and and because their story connects to their kit, so in other words, their abilities, things like that. So you develop this relationship with this character, right? And the issue with most uh, nowhere in the article does it consider the fact that most of these LGBTQIA LMNOP plus stories and their backgrounds are shit. So that's the first uh, problem. When you when you take a character that was made from the beginning, it's right in the story. When you make a character that was in the beginning gay versus making some character and just shoehorning in a gay story after the fact, you, you're, you're not going to have as good of a story in the background. Well, Next and that th- was what I was going to ask you. I want to stop you for a second there. Yeah. I, the, the points you're making about the background are excellent, and that immediately makes me think, hey, the lesbian character just has a better story overall. Yeah. So people are like, we're going to go here. So I think that's an excellent point. But I also want to add to your point about the shoehorning in. Isn't there a bait and switch element to this, too? Like, we were just talking about Elon being like, oh, I should fuck off, so I'm just going to take my toy and go home. Right. Isn't there an element too? I'm just putting myself in the player's perspective, right? I'm a lay yeah. person here. You know, I don't play these games, but I'm just looking at if there's a character I really like, right? Because what's this guy's name? Something 76? Soldier 76. 
So you tell me Soldier 76, like that's a cool name. That sounds like a reference to like the American Revolution, right? And he's a dude. I might start using him as my character. But then you later on change him and tell me he's gay after I've been using him all this time. I'm going to feel like you baited and switched me just to make it seem like I'm, I want to use a gay character and that your gay, your gay character is super popular in your game. You know, right. it's almost like, oh, Spider-Man's the most popular hero, so we're going to make him gay. Or we're going to kill off Stony Stark and give his powers to a, a teenage black girl, right? Which is what they're doing. I mean, yeah. this is similar to what they're doing with Marvel. And I would, as a player, almost be like, oh, yeah, you're going to do that to me? Well, fuck you. I'm just going to take the lesbian just so this character it, can be tanked. Yeah, because I think the emotion maybe you're looking I w- for there is, a, is betrayal. That's the right. emotion that people will feel. Well, 100%, because maybe I would have picked... Like, if you gave me, like, five characters, and, like, the gay character was a total badass, if you're like, oh, man, this guy used to play professional sports, and then war broke out, and he had to pick a side, and in order to fight for American liberty, he renamed himself Soldier 76, so he could continue to be who he wanted to be, I'd be like, cool, I don't care if that guy's gay, I'm gonna go with that. But when you take a character that wasn't gay and make him gay, I feel like you're you're betraying me for clout yeah. for virtue and, signal and and let's take that betrayal one step deeper when it beca- when the way these characters are marketed are as tokens right like look how cool we are we're making these gay characters except for oh by the way they're not gay in other countries like china or the middle east right they're not gay in those countries so uh it becomes you you it becomes just a naked marketing ploy instead of integral to their story and well, so that the, goes it, back to what you're saying about the shoehorning in. That's just lazy. Why can't you make a set of characters for China, a set of characters for the Middle East, a set of characters? Like, wouldn't that be what you do for? Well, I mean, Netflix no, kind of no, does this, too. No we don't have markets it's anymore. It's a struggle because you. Yeah, there's a China right now is not allowing games that have certain sort of magic in them. And I don't even remember the details because I'm not in not in the have been in the gaming industry in a little while. But like there was, there was all this hubbub about the way characters die and like whether they could be magic, and then the whole uh, you have to have real masculinity now in China. You can't have effeminacy in your male characters. Uh, it, it, there's all this crazy stuff in China, so yeah, it's going to have to get to that point where you'll have to have a whole different set of characters. But if we're really applying cultural relativism, right, and epistemological relativism and subjectivism, and ethical relativism and subjectivism. Wouldn't we have to necessarily do that? Because the game is going to be different in every culture and the characters are going to be different in every culture. So we should have been doing that from the beginning. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And the article goes on to talk about that, uh, that, uh, the, the article sort of frames it as, well, therefore we must stop these players from discriminating. Right. And Justin, what's the problem with that? Well, then you just, get rid of the players they stop playing and then you yeah, have no exactly. more exactly it's like who are the customers here why don't you right. look uh, self reflection jesus you're selling a product if you're like hey we made this character gay and it didn't work now there's two errors you can make you could say well therefore gay people don't sell which we know isn't true or you could say hey maybe we fucked up the marketing maybe we fucked up the story like what like how do we make this more engaging to um, general audiences or spef- specific audiences we want to attract but that's the that's the problem right 
you have a lot of gaming companies today and a lot of the acad- academic, this paper clearly demonstrates it, a lot of the academic and studies around this is anti-gamer, right? They aren't, they don't want the audience they have. They want some other imaginary utopian uh, platonic ideal of an audience that is broke right. and, and will consume product, right? And get excited for right. next product. Well, they want the MCU audience is what they want. Right. right. Everybody wants the MCU audience now. Um, I have a question for you, William, in regards to this, Sure. which I know this is controversial nowadays because everything is political and we must always acknowledge things at all times. Like, how do you win in Overwatch? Like, do you kill someone? Do you beat them by fucking them to death? Like, I, <laughs> no, I don't know. Like, no, I'm asking. not involved, although there is a lot of of uh, Overwatch porn. You know, people have, uh, you know, the pornification of uh, video game characters is definitely. A thing. Yeah, but that's the Internet. They'll pour. What is that? What is that? Rule 37 or 31? What is <laughs> Something it? Something like that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's been going on forever. Right. I remember like back in the day when Good Charlotte first came out, like. There were people on message boards talking about pretending the brothers were gay together or gay with their friend and Tony and messed and everything. And even back then, I was like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, A, why do you care about these people's sex life? And B, why are you making them gay when they're obviously not? Right. <laughs> and that's that's the question I have for this, William, is 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 this just evidence of the repressed culture that people say we have the puritanical culture? They say we have. I understand the value of backstories, right? Yeah. But if I'm writing a story, right, I'm going to essentialize the story in a way that the things I know about the characters are only going to be things that matter to the story. And them being gay or not, even the lesbian character, why do I care? Why does it matter? Like, why can't you just have a good looking female character or a good looking male character? A bad-looking male character, a bad-looking female character, a, a in-between, right? A, all sorts of body types and everything, and it doesn't matter. Like, maybe they're gay, maybe they're not. You can fan-write that, and you can have your own headcanon, as the kids say, whatever you want. Why, why does it matter? It's not relevant, right? Yeah. Well, and it, and the whole the whole thing is, like, you have to think about it in terms of character design. I'm not a narrative person, so this is this is just... You know, me being a, a semi-insider, like, the the story, just like with movies or television or uh, books, the character has to be fully integrated into the theme that you're trying to get across. And a lot of characters right. in, in Overwatch or Champions in League of Legends or Agents in Valorant, they have, they have their, their sort of core identity that connects with the overall theme of the game and the backstory of the game and... And in involved and connected into their world, all right. So, uh, like, uh, just to go back, like, think of, uh, think of, uh, Arcane and the uh, uh love story between uh, Vi and Caitlin. Like, that's a lesbian love story, but it's subtle and it integrates exactly with the plot. It's Romeo and Juliet, right? It it, it integrates completely with the plot. It makes total sense in the context of the universe, right? And it's not like, oh, they're being oppressed. It's not. It's not a it's not a social justice gay story, right? It's just that's that is it's so integrated into everything about the two worlds and the underworld and the overworld and the oppression there and all this other stuff. It's just there. And and it and it's integrated integrated to the characters. That's probably a good example of it done well. Uh Soldier 76 tacking it on the end. I don't know remember all the details cuz this was a while ago when so- Soldier 76 was announced as gay. It was very much like it, 
just all the marketing material around it. It was very much like a pride push, not a real, it wasn't had anything to do with Overwatch or the whole Overwatch universe, right? Right. So there is an argument based on what you're saying to be made that the character's psychology is relevant to the story. So in order to integrate the character properly to demonstrate this is a character who would exist in this universe and participate in these activities... And even have to, to integrate with the plot to raise the stakes, right? That's why I said it's right. a Romeo and Juliet story. Like, it raises right. the stakes, right, of the of the conflict. It brings it to the core. Will she choose right. her sister or the uh, or this, you know, this woman she loves, right? Past or right. future. If, Good and or that's evil. if you want to make it hyper important, right? You don't even have to make sexuality hyper important, but you could have a character from the beginning be gay or straight or bi or whatever fucking word you want to use right i don't i don't care about the terminology whatever word you want to use whatever identity you want to use that can be relevant as a small detail as to how it affects the psychology of the characters in this world and how they got to be where they are in the world and where they're going to go but what's yeah. revealing here from this article and these designers is how much they are forefronting and essentializing these identities in reality. This is only an issue because people are making sexuality and gender and race that important in real life. So then, of course, that has to be reflected in the art because to them in real life, those are the defining traits. Well, and Justin, we have to get back to the core and you've hit the nail on the head just to essentialize this even further, it it comes back to collectivism. Instead of Soldier 76 being his story and having his individual identity, we have to graph this queer identity onto him in his universe. And then they get mad, which is what this whole study is. They get mad that people don't connect to it. And it's like, hey, they've inverted how you connect to characters, right? Right. I don't admire Gandalf in Lord of the Rings because he's straight. Is he even straight? I don't. I don't know. He's don't, played by a gay guy, right? Uh, yeah. But do you understand how's what I'm that saying? Guy, right? like, I'm how not... is Ian McKellen still alive? How did Hagrid <laughs> die before <laughs> Gandalf? True. That's very true. But you understand what I'm saying, Justin? Right? Like I, I didn't. I, I. This whole idea, this whole concept. Yes. Of, I need representation of these random. Because let's be honest, they're random collective identities, right? We jokingly say all the time that about the disappearance of redheads in, in film, right? Because we're replacing mostly minorities with red, or sorry, replacing redheads with minorities right now, right? Right. Little Mermaid and all these other all, all these other shows, right? Uh, but but that's a joke because like the whole idea of having representation and that we've picked only certain characteristics that we need to represent, like that's so weird, right? It's so collectivist. Like I don't, I don't. Having someone overcome a tremendous difficulty is something I can connect with universally as a human. And that's what storytelling is about, is connecting to these universals. The particular should be particular to the character, and that's great. And and sexuality could be part of that. But right. it's not it, – it, most of the time, it's not going to be essential. And it, and, 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 and things like this where they graft it on after the fact, you can't it, – it's not going to work. And then and then to complain, well, people aren't playing anymore because he's gay. No, people aren't playing anymore because you – you change the character. They feel like you said. They feel this betrayal. They don't want to participate in this political movement, and they and they right. don't they don't want to. They just don't want to deal with it. Like why spend emotional energy connecting to this character when clearly they don't care about the character? They took away, you know, and, and I'm not going to point on Soldier Seventy Six, but for other 
things that they've gayified, they've taken away the actual identity of the character. Right. And they made him into some sort of collective amalgamation, some like platonic ideal. And I'm going to guess, William, the the lesbian character. It's a specific character, right? Yeah, Tracer. Is Tracer attractive? If I Google Tracer Very. right now, you right. Make sure safe search is on. I don't care about that. Whatever. <laughs> I don't like this. Isn't a school computer or anything? <laughs> oh, I've seen Tracer before. See, I'm yeah. I'm not aware. Like I'm aware of these things, and I'm not aware of them at the same time. Like. Okay. Has she been a lesbian from the beginning? Yes. Yes. Okay. My opinion of this didn't change. This is a uh, attractively drawn and created cartoon character in my mind. I've seen this person before, yeah. right? I, uh, this character before. But notice so, she is not a blue-haired, queer uh, SJW lesbian, right? No, she looks like she could be in the next Top Gun movie. Like, that's what yeah. she looks like, right? Yeah. All right. So what my what I'm supposing is they tried to gayify everything so much for the young men that they still went to the straightest position they could go. And that's what sexualizing a lesbian because she is yep. attractive. Yep. Yep. And 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 who do you think young adolescent males are going to want to connect with more? A a attractive lesbian who has sex with other attractive women? Yeah, or Soldier seventy six who once had a love affair randomly in his past that we shoot over in later with a dude. So the 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 adolescent straight boys who probably want to have sex with attractive women would probably want to be with the character who also wants to have sex with women, right? I would I would say there's some universal connection going on there. So perhaps the lesson that should be learned from this whole story is lesbians, you are missing a market. <laughs> Why are you um, not working with teenage boys? They would work uh, with you. If you talk to them about hooking up with hot women, I think they would like you more. Am I wrong? <laughs> and canceled. I took took to the last story to get canceled this week. Oh, no, we're not done. Because I'm about to talk about incels and oh, maybe they're baby. right about something. Maybe incels are right about something with our continued theme of collectivism. William, and the way it influences people, uh, Joe Biden this week uh, was seen doing his usual hair sniffing and hovering around a, uh, what is that girl, preteen? How do his handlers, his handlers are 100% effective at making sure he never answers the press's questions, but they can't keep him away from ch- sniffing people's uh, uh, children's hair. Why? How- <laughs> and especially because in this video... The guy filming him, like, the, the the funniest thing is the impotent Secret Service agent in the background who's like, stop, don't do it, don't do it, right? He's not literally saying that, but he's pointing at him, like, shaking his head disapprovingly, like, because he's still, you know, he can't violate the First Amendment. This is in public, right? That's that's the funniest thing. So, it's, yeah, why why would you let Joe Biden go near girls below the age of 18? Why? Why would you do below that? Below the age of 30? Well, yes, really. Anyone but I was just general. picking the legal age. So I'm not. Look, I'm not interested in the creepy angle here, William. Really? Because I'm I was going to say, has which has happened more? Trump grabbing women by the pussy or creepy Joe sniffing underage girls' hair? Which has happened? Well, more? that even more than that. Like, remember when the Epstein stuff came out and everyone was like, "Oh, Trump went to Epstein's island," and they tried to come up with these like ideas of like. He would have parties to have sex Ooh. with teenage girls. Do you remember yeah. all that? Yeah. What do we have real evidence of? Happened. 
right? What do we have real evidence? We've seen, we, we've heard of what Trump might have done, right? But we've seen more of what Joe Biden's doing, right? And what he's doing is he's, he, he is sexualizing these little girls, right? You know, whether he's interested or not, I don't know. And I'm not really interested in the creepy angle because that's, you know, that's, it's, it's boring to me, right? I mean, if there's anything we saw from Epstein, right, there's more of this going on than we know. These people think they're above the law. What's more interesting to me is the advice he gave her, because I think the, the advice is extremely revealing of our culture and the messaging young women have been receiving from the time their kid, they were kids, at least in our generation. So do you want to play the drop, William? Now, the very important thing I told my daughter and granddaughters, no serious guys in your 30s. Okay. Right? <laughs> no what? No serious guys in your 30s. I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> All right, stop it. No serious guys until your 30s. And he told his daughter and his granddaughters that. Now, what about his sons? Right. That's the first thing. No serious girls until your 30s, right? Or guys, yeah. Stop he didn't just—he didn't just tell anyone, <laughs> right? He didn't just say no serious relationship, right? What if this girl doesn't identify as straight? I don't Shouldn't know. Shouldn't have been no this serious relationship of him, right? Okay, but let's let's take the heteronormative approach here because I think there is something important, and I I I, I brought up incels for a reason because notice what his phrasing is here: no serious guys until your thirties. What does that imply, William? To play with men until you get older. Right. It, it implies non-serious guys, right? So it implies women treat guys however you want until you're in your 30s, and then you can do what you want with them. Then you can get married. Then you can treat them, I don't know, about respectfully. I would argue it's not respectfully, right? Because I'm going to share something now. I don't know if I brought this up on the show before. This is something that happened to me in college. Um and, you know, if I have brought up on the show, well, I'm going to talk about it again. If I haven't, well, first time. I mean, Adam Carolla tells the same stories over and over again on his show, right? So if I've said it before, deal with yeah, it. Yeah, and he has way right? more listeners than us, so right, we got we to gotta emulate that. Yeah, that's how, how we're going to get new listeners. I'm just going to tell the same story. So I'm going to tell the story over the next five episodes. No, you know, I've always, like, I found this topic interesting, right? Because it was something I struggled with, like romantic relationships, sexual relationships is something I struggled with when I was younger. You know, getting interest, maintaining interest. Part of it has to do with, you know, I I had self-esteem issues when I was younger. Part of it is, you know, I weighed 88 pounds in eighth grade. I weighed 119 pounds through high school, although I was on the wrestling team, right? So that should have evened out the 119 pounds. But, you know, I've never, I still look very young. I've never been the prototypical quote-unquote Chad, right? So this is where I have sort of sympathies for incels. And now anyone listening to this who yeah. hates incels is going right, to immediately invalidate me. Right, William? Yeah, because absolutely. as you were saying about incels, I think the main issue with them is that they're collectivist. Yep. Right? They don't look internal and think how they can fix their individual situations to improve things. They come up with collectivist solutions. Oh, we're all in this label so we need to have sex redistributed to us in the same way that other 
goods are redistributed to other people. Or, you know, this other group is denying what our group deserves, so violence deserves to be perpetrated against them. That is the flaw in their premises. But they do make good arguments. And the arguments are reflected by what Biden's saying here and what was said to me in college. So I was trying to figure out things like, why why do young girls, William, and I'm not asking you to answer this. This is what I was thinking about when I was in college is, why do they go for guys that are just destructive towards themselves and towards the girls? Right? They always would get in these harmful situations. Now, part of it is, you know, we're going to get into those situations until we learn not to because we're young and we haven't figured anything out. We're trying to figure out our value system and experiment. You know, that's the stuff I didn't know as a kid because I didn't have the perspective, right, that I have now that, hey, you're supposed to fuck up as a kid and learn, and it's okay. But part of it is also we're not encouraged to learn from stuff. We're just encouraged to repeat it, right, because we're encouraged to be irrational emotionalists. Oh, we'll just keep doing the same thing over and over again. Don't, Don't think, why did this not work this time? Right. Just think, oh, I'm going to do the same thing. But also we are literally encouraged to be emotionless and be destructive with what Biden is saying. So I was I was having a conversation with a college girl, one of my friends at the time, you know, and she said to me, this was when I was in college. She said to me something along the lines of, you know, those type of guys are the guys girls have fun with. And you're the type of guy that girls marry when when you're ready. Now I'm paraphrasing, yeah, right? Yeah. Obviously, because I don't remember the exact wording, but it was that dichotomy between having fun and marry. False dichotomy, and bro. well, exactly, exactly. That was my first reaction. Was well, if I'm someone you would want to marry, why would you not want to have fun with me too? Does that mean when you marry me eventually, you're not going to want to have fun? And by the way, I do think that's a lot of problems why people end up with things like dead bedrooms and toxic boring relationships because they have this mentality of oh when it's time oh i just have to settle down and stop being that person i was before um but then my second reaction after that was i was really really offended and i was offended because that means the choice is all yours that i'm just supposed to sit around and wait to experience this part of life until you decide you're ready for me and you decide it's my turn, then I can enjoy that part of life and experience that part of life. Yeah. And it's exactly what you said with the the last story, William. I I said, you know what? I'm out. And for a while, I actively decided I'm not going to try. And I stunted myself because I didn't learn, because I didn't go through the experiencing phase, right? The trial and error phase. Cause I was just like, look, if this is the rules of the game, I'm not going to play the game. It's not interesting to me. I'm not waiting for someone to decide when they want to use me for their purposes. So it's essentially this guy is good for this purpose. And this guy is good for this purpose. So I'm going to use him. That's not an equal relationship. That's not respecting of individuality. That is definitionally collectivist. And William, this is where I think incels are onto something. I think they say it very crassly. And I will, I don't know if I want to say their phrase or not, but they talk about how when women are a certain age, they go around and sleep with all the attractive guys and have fun with them. And then when they reach a certain age that they're no longer as attractive, they will then decide to settle 
and go with a guy who can provide for them and they will take advantage of what that guy has materialistically because he was able to earn and he's able to do that where the other guys can't and they will then take advantage of use that guy for that and that is isn't that not exactly what i just described yeah incel and toxic femininity are two sides of the same collectivist coin here right 100 percent. both they're both are just like ravaged with the mind body dichotomy right the whole idea that you can have fun with terrible people is just like to someone like me and you that's that just sounds so idiotic right like well, how do you have fun body. with terrible people? Yeah. Because it's purely physical. Yeah, exactly. And then the other side of things, how you can just turn off the physical side because, oh, I'm no longer attractive or I can no longer get those types of that type of fun. So I'm just going to cut off part of my life while I continue for the rest of my life. Yeah, yeah. And that's here's the thing. I think that's the much more dangerous thing of what Biden has said here to this young girl. She is always going to remember that the president of the United States said that to her. And other young girls who hear this are going to hear that as well. And they're going to take that seriously because the president of the United States is going to is going to have said that. And they're going to take yeah. that seriously. And I don't mean to underplay if he has done any sort of abuse or pedophilia. I don't mean to underplay that. That will destroy people's lives. And that's very unethical. But I'm talking about what is going to destroy the mind of a whole age group. Do you get what I'm saying? This is much more insidious yeah. because it will affect and infect a large number of people. Am I wrong? No, I, we we've we've seen it, right? We we see it uh, in in the culture today. We see the results of it. This whole idea of you know not being able to approach women. I think I sent you an article on that. Uh, it's directly um, related, and that is something else. When I was in college, that we talked about that too. If you are not one of those guys, right? My roommates and I. If you are not one of those guys, this is something. Literally, I experienced in college. I had that fear. I went to therapy to deal with this in my late 20s, early 30s, late 20s. I don't even remember when it was because I had that fear. I had that fear that if I approached a woman that wasn't interested in me, she would slap me because I was made to feel by the culture, William, that I didn't have a right to approach a woman without her permission. But that's that's a catch 22 because if she's not going to approach me, and that's the typical gender role, right? And I would argue that's biological, psychologically biological, I would argue. Then I'm just stuck. I'm never allowed to approach a woman. I'm never allowed to express my interest. And if we want to move beyond gender roles, then any person should be able to express interest as long as it's done respectfully, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, look at in the article. The article you sent me, there was a quote that was like, they interviewed a bunch of women and 80% of them said they experienced something creepy. Well, it's the same thing, William. Well, and I'm we not all know, play the game. We all, we all know who those creepy people are, right? It's the ones that they don't find attractive because if they found right. them attractive, it wouldn't have been creepy. And that's right. the, that's the, the twist, right? And now we sit, now we know based upon what Biden said, attractive for what purpose? Attractive for what yep. purpose? Yep. And that's where I won't play the game and I wouldn't play the game. If you're just going to call me creepy, and you're going to call 
because you're hypersensitive, right? That's the other thing, William. There's no way it was actually creepy behavior. We know who creepy people are, right? Yeah. And we know who they yeah. are. And that's wrong, and we acknowledge it, and we say that. And then, you know, when I see a guy do that, I usually try and help him, especially a young kid, right? I'm like, guy, that's not the best way, dude, to communicate with a girl. Let's talk about it. Because usually they don't want to be. Right. Usually they need to learn and no one ever taught them and no one ever helped them. But if you're going to label me creepy regardless, if 80 percent of women are going to call someone creepy, it's going to cause one of two reactions, William. One, it's going to cause people like me to just be like, fuck it, I'm not going to engage. Or men are just going to say whatever the fuck they want and stop being respectful because they're going to get called creepy anyway. Yeah. Yep. So you might as well cat call. And in the one time it works out of a million, at least you got what you wanted. So I think that's the story here with the Biden advice thing for young women. I don't I don't think it's the, you know, oh, Joe Biden sniffs hair yeah, and things hair like that. Boring. All right. Anything else you want to add, William? No, nah, I think you hit it. I think, uh, you know, it's a very similar story uh, in the gay world. There's, uh, you know, I always used to joke around uh, and I may have told this story before in the podcast. Uh, when I turned 30, it's like, oh, now I'm gay dead. Now I can uh, now I can actually date. Yeah. Because it seemed to me like all through my 20s and well into my 30s, everyone who was in my peer group, they were just sleeping around. They weren't trying for a relationship. Right. And uh, like, this is crazy. This is not the world. This is not what I expect. It's it's not only not what I had hoped for, but it was all, honestly not what I expected to be fu- to look to 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 have because it's it's so ingrained in our culture just in general is the point I'm trying to make about yes. this dichotomy between. You know, like you said, someone to have fun with, someone to settle down with. It's just yeah. so ingrained. Well, and I think that that's something we still deal with is the way we conceptualize marriage in this culture. I mean, when you look at sitcoms, people always say, why is there a schlubby dude with a hot woman? Right. Well, because that's the archetype you all have created. That's yeah. who the woman's supposed to settle down with, because he's the guy who can take care of her. Whereas the other guy she really wants to be with it can't take care of her, right? Because you're, you've di- you've made a dichotomy between her needs, her psychological needs and her physical needs. She's not seeing those as one and the same. And th- that's why it happens that way. And that's why you always end up with the plot lines about the, the cheating and the jealousy and everything because of that. It's because we, these, we still have these ideas about these relationships. And, and I don't think we've properly conceptualized even marriage because of that. So, yep. All right, that brings us to the end of the Life on the Midside segment. Uh, We're going to talk very briefly about some trailers here in a second because there is no review this week. So I'm giving you fair warning. If you're looking for a review and don't like Trailer Takedown, eh, just stop listening now. (laughs) It's time for... I got to do my Way to step on it, Justin. Way to step on it. God damn it. Just hit every drop you can right now. (laughs) Can we do the Fauci? Trust the science. Oh, okay. We've got to follow the science. What about the don't be a beta? Do you have that? That'd be appropriate right now. Uh, Never be a beta. Just never, ever do it. It is death. All right, but listen to the hopeful romantic with JML. Their 
As always, if you'd like to continue the conversation with us during the week, you can do so by joining our Discord channel. As you saw, I took a I took a story from the Discord channel this week. I'm also going to read some of Midsiders GS reviews for Trailer Takedown from the Discord. So if you go to midside.com and midside.com slash podcast, click on any episode link, then there is a link to join the Discord. I usually, I usually put the trailers in the Discord on Saturdays before we record. So that's so if you want to, you know, watch the trailers and then listen to the episode or listen to the episode, watch the trailers or alternate. You watch a trailer, we talk about it. You watch a trailer, we talk about it. Trailer takedown. First trailer. Women Talking is a movie about women talking. And uh, it's as bad as the trailer implies. Or the title implies. Okay. Now that I've got my misogyny out of the way, to be serious, this movie looks like they took the village and took all the interesting things out of it, including the cinematography and directing. So it's literally set in sort of a colonial type village. They all speak in the style of the the village, right, with the same vernacular. And all the color is washed out of this for some reason. Now, this is where Midsider GS is. Uh, review comes in. He says, In isolation, a movie about women in a religious cult coming to their senses and seeking vengeance after being gaslit seems like it could be great. The political climate makes me think this is going to be a social justice screed. And he's saying, tackle. Now, I don't even think just like... I agree with what he's saying conceptually, right? That if you take that concept and it could be good, and I don't know how... Because this is based on a book... I don't know how the book is written and perhaps the book is good. Right. Although I question that as well, because like he's saying about the the culture, but it's the way this is executed that makes it especially egregious. It shows the naturalistic collectivist approach of these things. Right. I don't even get a sense of any of the individual characters of the women in this story. Whereas in the village, the characters are very, very well defined and the character of Ivy, who's blind, is I mean, that's a character I'm going to remember for the rest of my life. I would call her iconic, although a lot of people might not because they shit on that movie. But yeah, I just think this shows how not to do something like this. Tackle. Tackle. Yeah, this is just a, a, a fourth wave feminist struggle session. There's no way this is going to be interesting just based on the trailer. Tackle. Tackle. Second trailer. The English is an Amazon Prime series starring Emily Blunt. In it, she befriends a, I don't even know what term to use, William, Native American, Indian, Aboriginal, whatever fucking term you want to use that isn't going to get you mad at me for using the wrong term. Uh, not I white. I humbly, what? Not white. <laughs> not white. I'm not white. I don't know. That's not even correct, though, because it's, it changes the story if it was a slave she freed. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. I, like, I don't even know, right? I don't even like I don't even know what to say. I humbly admit I don't know what to say and perhaps the land I'm sitting on right now was stolen. I mean <laughs> Yeah, we I do, forgot I our land an, acknowledgments this episode. <laughs> Jesus. I, I am in Osceola County and Chief Osceola of the Seminoles is the mascot of the set Florida State Seminoles. So I'm sure there's something evil about my whiteness and my privilege in there that makes me unable to review this trailer. But here's the thing. Midsider GS seems to think he has a um, a John Wick vibe from this trailer. 
I didn't get that at all, right? I mean, a lot of, look, a lot of Westerns, William, are like, hey, everyone's against me and I'm going to kill people. So I would say, in fact, John Wick is more in the the tradition of the traditional Western. What stuck out to me about this trailer was a line um, Emily Blunt's character said. She said, there's just something about this country. I sometimes wonder if there's harm in all of us. Could somebody have just said interpersonal hostility? Like, how smart do we look again? That's literally interpersonal hostility in abstract artistic form. So, yeah, they're using the trappings of romantic Westerns and they're using essentialism. But what they're essentializing here is interpersonal hostility or, you know, Rousseau, the war or uh, no Hobbes. Sorry, Hobbes, the war of every man against every man. And that's ultimately what this comes out to. And that doesn't interest me. I'm because why? What am I going to do? Just watch someone get away from everyone trying to kill them? Like the whole thing to John Wick's interesting is because these people are breaking the code and the rules and they're the bad people. And presumably if he gets rid of them, the world will be a better place, right? You watch Die Hard because they're the bad people and you're going to get rid of them. And then he learns by fighting the bad people. His wife sees that he's a good person and they can get back together and fix their marriage, right? If you have a movie where you're saying everybody just has harm in them, well, there's no end to the movie. It's just when you arbitrarily decide to end it. And I guess that's why it's a series, so they can keep it going in perpetuity. I will not be watching it. Tackle. Ugh, tackle. Yeah, if uh, this, this, I could almost say the same thing that I said for the last trailer, this trailer. Like, except for now it's a, like, some sort of, like, oh, I did this thing for society because I was in the army? Maybe possibly the Civil War? I don't know. We don't know exactly where we're at here in history. Um, but then, like, like, what's the redemption or the, 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 the plot, right? Like, like, wh- what's the, what's the conflict that we're going to see and what's the direction that we're going to go? And I think it's just pure, like you said, it's just, there's no other conclusion from the trailer other than this is just pure naturalism. And, uh, I will say, unlike the previous movie, this one actually looks like it's shot. All right. It, it, they're showing things uh, uh the color isn't completely washed out that the characters seem uh wi- while uh probably f- a little bit formula formulaic evil white people they at least have character unlike the last trailer but that there's nothing good to say here let's be honest tackle tackle third trailer megan all caps with the e as a three is a horror movie about a woman who has to adopt her niece because her parents died and she's unable to and she's worried she's not gonna have companionship so she gets a robot to be her companion and this is an extremely advanced robot except the robot turns killer because the robot decides you know i'm always going to protect you no matter what and of course starts going over the top and being super violent with how it protects the young girl. Uh, I actually don't mind this premise. I, I actually think it's an interesting premise. I think it's kind of a cool sort of like play on Chucky in the traditional slasher movie, right? And it sort of deals with our angst as uh, our angst with AI and our science. Fi- you know, that's what science fiction often is. My main issue with this is the execution artistically of the AI robot, especially at the end of the trailer when it starts showing her like dancing and doing karate kicks where she's obviously in tights 
Maybe it's because of the budget of this movie, but it took me out of the movie with the way when the robot became super killer, she looked. It just looked way too... It looked way too like any of these sort of... I mean, I guess it makes sense because James Wan has also... He's one of the producers here, has also produced movies, produced movies like The Nun and Annabelle. And I get that horror is supposed to be low budget or it's a move not supposed to be it's a, a, a genre that tends to be low budget because you can get away based on the ideas and the 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 concepts because i think horror is one of the last few purely romantic and i don't want to say there aren't naturalistic because we've seen some trailers for naturalistic horror movies but it's one of the you know remaining genres that is generally romantic that it can get away with a lower budget but it just doesn't work here for this for this antagonist. It, it makes the antagonist look less menacing. We're up to that point. It, the, the way the mask or face was done was very interesting. But that ending, that ending killed me, William. Tackle. Tackle. Yeah, Justin, this is one of those movies where the beginning of the trailer, uh, when they when she said the phrase, I want you to protect her physically and emotionally or something like that, I was like, oh, Change for protect to support, and you would this whole movie goes away. I don't know, maybe that's the sci fi premise person in me. But if they had played up that premise, right, more, uh, then I think it would have been more interesting to me. Other than that, this movie, I much like uh, Midsider GS said, this one about the about the uh, not for me tackle. I think that's my uh, that's my exact quote too. Not for me tackle, tackle final trailer spirited is an apple tv retelling of charles dickens a christmas carol starring ryan reynolds and will ferrell except ryan reynolds is bob cratchit and will ferrell seems to be uh the ghost one of the ghosts all of the ghosts i don't know this also seems to be like a musical because there's a tap dance number at the beginning of this trailer uh look i like the way this looks uh you know they're not trying to be real Right, they're trying to romanticize this, right? With the where we're talking about the costuming and the set design and, and uh, the the cinematography, right? Uh, it's Ryan Reynolds being a Ryan Reynolds type character. Uh, I don't like Will Ferrell. I hate Will Ferrell. I've said that many times. Yeah. But if this is the way we're going to do the inevitable Will Ferrell Ryan Reynolds movie, I think this is the best possible way to do the inevitable uh, Ryan Reynolds Will Ferrell movie. So I'm glad this is how it's being done. Uh, you know, Midsider GS says he doesn't see the same appeal in Ryan Reynolds you guys do. Uh, I don't get get how you don't see the appeal of Ryan Reynolds. Right? <laughs> he's a sexy I mean, he's, man. He's a sexy man. He's intelligent. He uh, has a very witty sense of humor. It's very irreverent, right? And it's it's it it makes fun of things in a way that it, it's not trying to tear them down. Right, and he's very charismatic. So he's Midsider GS says he'll probably just watch Die Hard this Christmas. Always watch Die Hard on Christmas, even though it's not a Christmas movie. It's just an excuse to watch Die Hard, right? But I don't see why you can't watch this too, right? Everyone's watching Halloween movies right now. Why not just watch this around Christmas time too? I'll be watching this. Hug, hug. Yeah, I I don't know how much I can stand watching Will Ferrell. So if he's only the gris, uh, the ghost of Christmas present, then maybe I can watch this whole thing. But I don't know. I don't know, Justin. I might have to have some bourbon in order to get through it. I'm not a huge Will Ferrell fan. 
I find a lot of his comedy grating. There's some stuff that is really funny though too. He's for me, he's one of those. Yeah, I'm just with comedies in general. I'm this way that it's it's either complete hit or just complete strikeout. There's usually no in between. So all that being said, hey, it's a new Christmas movie. So maybe after I get done watching uh, Die Hard and and uh, various other Christmas movies that I usually watch, then uh, Santa's yeah, sleigh. Yeah, yeah, there you go. So this is a Netflix and hug, or I guess Apple TV and hug. Netflix and hug. That brings us to the end of our episode. What did we learn this trip, William? I learned that uh, that uh, uh, despite what the article said, people not wanting to play gay characters has nothing to do with being gay. Justin, what did you learn this trip? I learned that if Al Gore made the internet, Joe Biden made incels. Uh. All right, I want to thank everyone for listening. If it wasn't for you, this would just be me talking into the corner of my closet like a crazy person. I mean, it still is that. I just feel a little bit less crazy. If you want to support the show, you can do so by going to midside.com slash store or the midside.com slash the cut. That's where we've got merchandise up. That's where we've got my book up. You can also do the midside.com slash Patreon or the midside.com slash locals. Give anything, even affirmations. That's how we keep the lights on. Just to be clear, the money is how we keep the lights on, not the affirmations. Just to be clear. And the best way to support the show is to tell a friend who is female. Tell a friend who is female. This concludes your journey into the midside. I'm Justin Emlesnetsky reminding you that if things get tough, take a step back and witness the farce. We've got to follow the science. It would have been much more appropriate for this episode to end with the don't be a beta being a beta is death clip than that one. Never be a beta. Just never, ever do it. It is death.